Welcome to Melanated Discussions, a podcast which indulges in blackness while connecting Ohio State students with the broader Columbus community. It is our goal to bridge the gap between black Ohio State students and the greater Columbus community through engaging conversations on various impactful topics that concern the black community. Through conversations like the one we're about to have, we hope we equip you with amazing resources in the Columbus community while learning more about some of the amazing melanated people that make our community and our university thrive. Welcome, everybody. I'd like our guests to introduce themselves before we get into it. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. State Representative Latina M. Humphrey have the pleasure of representing Ohio's second house district. Elaine Richardson, Professor of Literacy Studies in the College of Education and Human Ecology. And good morning, everyone. I am Dr. Tanisha Jenkins. I go by Dr. T, and I serve as the Associate Vice President for Belonging and Inclusion within the Office of Student Life at The Ohio State University. So lovely to have you beautiful ladies here. Smells amazing. So I guess I'm just going to jump into the questions um, right away. So what is your favorite way to engage with the Columbus community? My favorite way to engage with the Columbus community is through the arts. I'm a scholar and also an artist. One of the classes that I teach is hip-hop literacies. I'm interested in black language, black culture. And so my work, my outreach and engagement and my scholarship always includes the arts and just uplifting the culture. So I'm going to claim that I'm still fairly new to the city of Columbus in the state of Ohio. On March 1st, I celebrated two years of working at The Ohio State University. So when I think about my engagement with the local community, that is something that I'm still working on doing. I have been engaged with my alumni chapter of Columbus Alumni Chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, as well as the Twin Rivers Ohio Chapter of the Lynx Incorporated. So those are ways that I'm starting to get engaged, but I'm looking for ways to get more involved and engaged in the city of Columbus. I believe so far from what I've seen, there is so much here, so much culture, so much energy and unity within the community. So I look forward to making those connections and being more involved in the local community as well as doing more here on campus too. Well, I think one of the ways that I engage is through my service and through my advocacy. First of all, I represent a city on behalf of the state of Ohio, but I think I do that through introducing bills. I do that through advocating for certain parts of town. And I think the only way you can truly advocate for anything is by being present in a thing and seeing what's going on and engaging and having those necessary conversations. And so to answer your questions, it's by showing up and being present and and knowing what's going on in the district that I represent. So thank you for the question. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a very beautiful ways. I think you all serve like different aspects of community and like finding a way to connect. It's kind of inspiring. So thank you. My next question would be what other black women inspire or have inspired you to pursue the work that you do right now? Wow. Well, first of all, I always have to give honor to my mother. My mother always talked about how she wished she could have gotten an education. Her father was killed when she was 13, and at that time, back in the day in Jamaica, if you were the oldest and your family needed you, you had to go to work. So my mother had worked ever since she was 13 years old, and she always talked about if she, if me could have get education, me would have been hell. (laughs) She always said that, so I knew 
that that was important to me, getting an education. And that kind of led me to the person who finally became my mentor. I had a lot of people to help me throughout my sojourn. But Geneva Smitherman is a black linguist. And when I first got into undergraduate school, I had a hard time learning how to write for the academy. And so professors were asking me, you know, had I ever heard of a comma, a period, <laughs> you know, a sentence? All, you know, and I was using black English, they told me. I had never heard it called anything except slang. But eventually that became my major just because I had such a struggle and I didn't know what I was going to major in. And I started being good at it after going to tutor after tutor and professor's office hours and revising and revising. <laughs> and finally, my major became linguistics and black language and literacy. And Geneva Smitherman was like the most celebrated black linguist in the country at the time when I was coming through. And somehow I got connected to her. I read her book. And she came to Cleveland State University and gave Black History Month talk. And I had read by that time everything with her name on it because it gave me an academic identity. It was something that I connected to and I loved learning about Jamaican Creole because my mother was Jamaican and learning about the Ebonics in my community and just the flavor of black people and how we do language. And that just became one of the things that really made me feel like I could have a scholarly identity. And Geneva Smithman was a down to earth black woman. She talked to me like a black woman talks. And she kind of just bossed me all the way through the PhD program at Michigan State University. And I loved it. She was like my other mother. So I have to give thanks to the Most High for putting her in my path and a lot of other people too. But she was like the main scholarly inspiration for me and model for me. That was awesome. Thank you for sharing, Dr. E. <laughs> Thank you, sister. And similar to Dr. Elena, she just shared, I'm a first-generation college student as well. And so my mother and grandmother and my father, I know we're talking about women today, but I got to put my daddy in there too. <laughs> um, my parents and my grandparents definitely inspire me. My grandmother didn't complete high school. She went back to get her GED after she raised her four kids. So my grandmother was in her, oh gosh, 30s, getting her GED. I also lost my grandmother back in November, so I'm still kind of healing from that, but also remembering all that she has inspired in me and also in my mother to help push me to go even further and do even more. I'm the first one in my family to also have a PhD, and so that is huge for our family and for me because I know the shoulders that I stand on, and so I want to make sure that I'm doing anything and everything to make them proud of me, and so that inspires me to do a good job in the work that I do or try my best to do a good job in the work that I get to do every day. My undergraduate institution was a small, private, religious-affiliated institution, predominantly white. And so I know what an Office of Minority Affairs, that's what it was called back in the day, what an Office of Minority Affairs did for me as a young black girl at this predominantly white institution. I have been doing DEI work since then and didn't even know it from my undergraduate career. And so I know what I call her name Sheila Hill. She was the director of minority affairs then at that time at Presbyterian College. And I know what she did for me and what her office did for me as a black woman. And it is my goal to pay that forward each and every day as I work with students of color and underrepresented and marginalized students here on campus every day and in each position at each institution where I have worked. And so 
Sheila and my parents and my grandparents inspire me. And you all as students also inspire me to continue to push through, even on the days when it's hard doing this work, because all days aren't the best. But it is also very rewarding when we get it right. And when we see you all walk across that stage four or five years from now and go on to be good global citizens, making a change in your community. How about to make me cry? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's a good point. Well, it's kind of nuanced for me. And I think that this is the podcast for me to be really honest. And as you mentioned, you said your mother, your grandparents, but also you have to add in your father. And, and for me, I'll say my mom 100%. Because my mom is a well-educated woman, but very complex. I'm very open about our journey, about our story. And so I tell you that my mother struggled with drug addiction. My mother has been incarcerated on a number of times. But at the same time, she still has an associate's, a bachelor's, a master's, and has leaded uh, AT&T. I mean, has done wonderful things. But she has shown me just through her strength how to just bounce back after all the cards have been stacked against you. She is the ultimate bootstrapper and now a preacher and helps people who struggle with drug addiction and all of that. So my mother has really molded me into who I am today. A lot of how I think is obviously me, but how she raised me, right? And how I operate. But you talk about how many women have really inspired you. And you have to be honest in your journey and say, or, or for me to say, I didn't really let women lead me. I don't know what that was. I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. But who I learned from and then helped me to go to other women started off being a man. And it wasn't a black man. It was a white man. And, and being very honest about that, who helped me in my journey was the Franklin County Auditor, Michael Stenziano. Because for me, I seen his actions line up with his words as an elected official. And that helped me to lead my office in the way in which I do. And I served underneath him for two years. And then I went off to work for a judge who I've learned a lot from as well. So now I'm moving into this space where now a Senator Charlita Tavares, who was the CEO of Primary Health, is one of my mentors or a friend, Frazier. Um, but for me, I'm, I don't know what that was starting off. So now I'm moving into this space where I can be open and I can sit down and I can listen to someone who looks like me. And that probably comes from whatever trauma that I went through, whatever it is that I experienced it made it hard for me to be able to really learn from black women because sometimes I, and this is again, my own trauma. So I want that to be very clear. I felt judged. I felt, you know, whatever. And and maybe it had to do with, I didn't want nobody telling me anything. Right. So, but now that I've grown, my circle has grown as far as what mentors look like. And I'm very particular about who mentors me because I have to know in what I'm going through that what you're saying to me is coming from love mm -hmm. and that you really want to see me succeed. And then it's not coming from a place of intimidation or whatever the case may be. And so I'm very particular. But when you think about mentors, the person who comes to my mind is Charlita Tavares because I know she respects me and she's done a lot and I can learn from her. And it's not what you think when you think of leaders and you think high and mighty and you think all these different things that's not what it is with me and her and so 
I wanted to bring another perspective and just say I'm at a place now where I have women mentors, but I did not start off that way. Lots of times it were men and men who didn't look like me also. I think the transparency is quite beautiful. I mean, there's it's very multifaceted. So, yeah, thank you. And you made a very good point, too, in terms of everybody can't mentor you and then we can't mentor everybody as well, too. So being mindful in terms of who we ask to be our mentors or who we seek out as mentors, as well as those that come to us and ask for mentoring, how we engage in that relationship as well, too. Because I may not be the best mentor for you. Dr. E may be the best person. And being okay with saying that and then connecting you all, too, to see if it works in a relationship as well. Because everybody can't mentor. Yeah. <laughs> That's facts. <laughs> that is facts. Everybody ain't for everybody. Mm-mm, not at all. Mm-mm. Yes, thank you guys. Wow. I... <laughs> the transparency is quite raw. I love it. Because me and your mom got a lot in common. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is more so for like undergraduate students or like students in general like myself. What do you think would be a great starting space, especially for black leaders looking as black women and black queer women to engage both in academia and politics based off like your journeys and your experience? I'll say for me, it has to be determination, but my foundation of even how I got here to be in a position to create laws was service. And I think that that crosses all divides finding a place where you can serve and you can be useful and you can learn and then apply that to your career, apply that knowledge that you've learned, even in academia. Service has been the foundation for what I do and how I got here. And the experience that I took from my service helps me to even legislate. And so I'll start off and say service is the key thing for me. Mm. I love that. So I'll jump into, along with service, the way you serve on your campus as well, too, in your campus community, how involved you are in student organizations, and not just the black student organizations. Now, don't get me wrong. Those are very important, but we also need to learn how to take our leadership and move that into other spaces across campus as well, too. So I was the first African-American student body president at my undergraduate institution. I didn't realize what that meant until later on in life, but... Also, starting by working in our multicultural student union, being an officer there, and then moving through the ranks and moving to SGA showed me a lot about myself and leadership and what it means to have space in certain places and being able to bring other people with you into those spaces as well, too. So be involved in Black Caucus, but also let's run for USG president. As well, too, okay? <laughs> and look at the other organizations on campus where you have an interest and a passion in serving and get involved there, and that will lead you along the way as well. Mm. My little tidbit to add in there is learning who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, I don't care if you are the most advanced person in STEM and health careers and medicine or whatever the prestigious fields are, if you don't know who you are, you won't be as informed as you should be and you'll be working against yourself and your people and your culture. So learning who you are. So maybe getting involved in some African-American studies courses or ethnic studies and gender studies. And so you can know because 
One thing that I'm big on is unity. We have to find a common place of oppression, no matter if we have a lot of differences, even though we might be people of color or black women or whomever. We have to find commonality in our oppression so that we can appreciate that we need to be unified and move forward and not worry about who's this and who's that. They trying to kill us all. So know who you are, know your history, know your culture. Thank you. I think it's typically usually hard for like black students of color, especially being here at Ohio State, finding like a starting place for us. Like, where do we start? We're the minority here, so it's okay. How do I get involved? How does that look like? That's so important because you do feel, you know, alienated. I know I felt alienated when I first went to Cleveland State. I didn't know where I fit in. Mm-hmm. But there are some amazing resources here on campus for students as well, too. And so coming in, getting engaged with the Center for Belonging and Social Change, as well as the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, are amazing ways for students to begin to connect and find community and find that sense of belonging here. And again, there are multiple student organizations for our black students. And so finding the one that fits for you and getting involved there is another way to build community. Mm-hmm. All right. The next question is directed to Dr. T. Uh-oh. <laughs> so as a black woman in higher ed, how did you navigate through these majority white spaces? That's a great question. And I think Dr. E just touched on that a little bit, too. I had to learn myself. I had to get to know myself and be true in who I am and what I stand for and what I value and allow that along with my faith to guide me and help me along the way. As you know, many of the institutions I've worked at have been large PWIs, research, land-grant institutions, flagship institutions, and a whole lot can come with that at large schools. And so being a black woman in many rooms where it may have just been one or two of us, knowing who I am, knowing when and how to use my voice, but also knowing how to build allies and friendships with others around the table. I used to joke about at a previous institution, not going to say which one of them, but at a previous institution, I used to joke about one of my colleagues that I was extremely close with was a white woman. And so there were times we would be in some meetings and we always made sure to sit diagonal from each other. There were times we'd be in some meetings and I would say something or bring up a point. Sometimes people listen or sometimes they just brushed over my point like I didn't say it. I give her the eye, and about two minutes later, she'll bring it back up again, you know? So having allies in this space is very important, too, but also knowing who you are and knowing when and how to use your voice is very important as well, too. So while they might not have heard me when I said it the first time, but they heard her, and, like, I'm a little pissed because they listened to her and not me, but at the end of the day, I still got what I needed for the students and the team and the staff that I serve. Yeah, I think next question is be towards right Latina. Now for you being in the political sphere, how does that look like navigating? I think Dr. T made a good point as far as making allies. I think that that's important, but I'm going to go back and piggyback off of what you said. You have to know who you are. I just did a podcast yesterday and I asked the same thing. And we're like, well, when you're in a room, how does it feel? When, you know, you're the minority and you sometimes feel like people don't value you or something like that. 
again, just with Dr. Tisa, you have to know who you are. What frustrated me about sometimes being in those rooms was not that I didn't know who I was. I've had a knowing of my calling for a very long time. So it was never a question of what I felt. It was I could feel that other people felt I didn't belong. And so sometimes that could be frustrating. And then you move into the sense of, oh, well, now I have to show you. Right. And then that goes into how do I speak up? When do I speak up? And things like that. But I think you have to know who you are. That's number one. And then to the point about finding allies, that's important. I'll tell you, I introduced 14 bills. Over half of them are bipartisan because I've created allies. I let sometimes we are in this place where and forgive me, I'm going to be raw. I have to be honest. Sometimes we are in this place where we want to just be super progressive and we've got to do this and we've got to do that. Well, let's not forget we live in the state of Ohio, right? So you have to find something that will bring commonality and commonality is there. You're progressive. Okay, we'll look at criminal justice reform because when you look at criminal justice reform, you know that some of your Republican colleagues are actually way more progressive than you think they are. And that's somewhere where you could come into finding common ground. You talk about parenting and shared parenting, where that's an issue with black, white, Republican, Democrat. That's where you find commonalities. You have to pay attention to the relationships that you make, and you have to be really intentional about it. So finding allies is really important. Not saying that we got to go and walk into the sunset together, but we got to find somewhere where we can work together. And the way you do that, especially in my field, is for me, I've created allies by being kind because there's a lot of things that are going on in the Ohio State House, in the Ohio General Assembly that a lot of people wouldn't agree with. But I know that I have the blackest district, the poorest district, the most diverse district in Franklin County. I don't have time to be mad at a bill that you pushed. I'm going to speak up when it's time to speak up. But right now, if I can get you to help me with this reentry bill, oh, that's what I'm going to do. And so you got to kind of move beyond whatever differences you have. And again, like Dr. T said, think about that commonality. And that's how I've been successful in the General Assembly is saying, I ain't got time to worry about that. Because my constituents, when they call me, lots of times it's not about a bill. It's about my lights are off. You know, and so you got to figure it out. So allies, but then it'll be hard to navigate in these spaces if you don't know who you are. Because to the sister's point here, if you don't know who you are, they're going to tell you. And that might not align with who it is that you are. So all the points that everyone is making are very valid. Yeah, this is quite eye-opening for like someone like me who's kind of just getting into the world. Like, having a sense of self is really important especially as a black woman in the different fields that we're navigating. And know that that evolves over time as well, too. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There are still things I'm learning about myself now. So know that I think sometimes we think by 21, we need to have this figured out. By 30, we need to have this figured out. There is no age limit to anything. You will constantly be evolving and constantly learning more and more about yourself. But those values that have been instilled in you from the beginning always hold true. And so making sure that you look back to those as well, too. All right. So I think I'm going to ask now, given that you all have had navigated these different spaces, what would be the most difficult part of your jobs in the areas that you're in, or rather the biggest frustrations you've faced? It's, it's kind of what Representative Latina just said, is I know my value and I know my worth 
having to figure out how to get what I need and what I deserve. And I would say just trying to make sure that I am valued. That I'm not a traditional scholar. I'm an artist and a scholar. I do outreach and engagement. It's a part of my research. It's a part of my scholarship. And I'm different from other people in my college. I think people need to have a broader understanding of what diversity is. People think they know what diversity is, but diversity is not just this one standard thing that people think it is. And so I've had to fight for myself, negotiate for myself, and being a woman, a black woman, sometimes I have to pick and choose when and how. I have to strategize. I have to do the things that I feel passionate about, like the Columbus Women and Girls Fest and the Hip Hop Literacies Conference. All of these things come out of my life experience of being a young black girl who was in sex trafficking at the age of 13 and understanding that you might come from a family that's a loving family and this, that, and the other, but there's so many things to devalue you as a young black girl in our community, and that's even across class. I grew up poor in Cleveland, but some people grew up middle class, and they still had some of the same issues that affect all of us. So my research and my outreach come out of my experiences, and I've made some innovations in my field because I was able to connect literacy studies to identity, to gender, to sexuality, to being disinvested in, and how do we invest in black women and girls? What are the different ways that we can support their genius and their black excellence? So everybody doesn't get you, but at the same time, you have to get yourself and not let folk devalue you and understand, as the young folks say, respect my gangster. (laughs) So I'm going to say this, then I'm going to leave it alone. Uh, (laughs) So Dr. E talked about proving your worth and that your work matters. As we all know, diversity, equity, and inclusion work across the country is being challenged right now. And as a person who works in that space, always having to show and prove why it is important, why this work is important, why it is needed, is oftentimes a struggle. And then also having to prove why this work is needed as a Black woman also adds an extra layer to that as well, too. As Dr. E talked about, diversity is so much more. It's not just about race and gender. It's diversity of thought. It's so much more that it encompasses all of that and helping people to understand that when they don't want to understand (laughs) nor listen, it's a struggle at times. So it's a struggle navigating my personal thoughts and feelings about some things that happen while managing that with my professional responsibility and action and tasks that I must do as well, too, is sometimes a struggle. Most people would think, for me, it would be the legislative front or advocacy or anything with that regard, but it's not the most difficult thing. It is... I'll tell you... This is the first time that I've felt like, and again, this is my experience, 
I felt like I've dealt with sexism. And I worked county government. I worked for a judge. I mean, I've done some stuff, worked in banking. But really, the first time that I felt like I've dealt with sexism was when I got here. And not necessarily even at work, because in the state house, I have shown that I am not to be played with. I might be young, might be black, might be have a little flavor. You know what I'm saying? But, I mean, you check my track record. I told you, 14 bills, over half of them are bipartisan. That shows my colleagues that we can work with her. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's not work. But what I found on the political front is that one of my colleagues, and he's I'm like, why are you? <laughs> but it's okay. One of my colleagues, he's my best friend because he name drops me all the time, Representative Dontavious Jarrells, mm-hmm. assistant minority leader. Been friends since before we both were elected. But you put me and him in the room together both lights shine bright we just talked about this on saturday we walk in the room it'll be what's up representative oh hey latina what <laughs> i was elected just like him is it i'm saying i do just as much work as him and you got the audacity even before he became assistant minority leader mind you he became minority leader in what january so this was happening before then That's the thing that bothers me the most. We do the same work. In some instances, I may do more. Some instances, he may do more. But there have been times, and thank God for it, that he's had to been like, oh, no, representative's right here. You know, and I appreciate that. But at the same time, it's like, why do y'all automatically see him and value his title? But when it comes to me, you don't value my title. Now, mind you, you can call me Latina. But if you call him representative, you need to call me representative, too. Representative is not on my birth certificate, but I mean, I want some equity. You know what I'm saying? And that's one of the things that I've had to navigate with and us being so close. And that's really the only time that I've seen it. But us being so close is when we're together. It's just this whole emphasis on giving him his just and then I'm here. But it's like. It's no competition, but we compete against each other, right? I mean, if I'm being honest, he would say the same thing. It's like, bruh, there's some things that I do really better than him. There's some things that he does really better than me. He's an encyclopedia, but I can tug at your heartstrings. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so we both play on those abilities. And so that's one of the most difficult things for me, and it's a mental thing. And that's really just my story. It's just it's irritating. It's the same respect that you would give to him in these spaces. Give me the same respect because we do the same job. And a lot of the stuff that we do is a combined effort. So I know that that is not as deep as you would like it or you may like it to be. But that's really my story. That's the thing that irritates me. Not legislation, not going out into the community. That's easy. It can be tiring. It can be taxing on your body, but it's easy and it's worth it. That's the part that plays with my mental because it don't just happen once in a it happens all the time. And that's frustrating. What do I say? Put some respect on Latina's name. Come on. Hello. Yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> okay, I'm about to do a whole three sixty and now talk about the positives about being in academia, being in politics, being in diversity and inclusion. What would you say the rewarding aspects of your jobs and what you do? So before we even started the podcast, Dr. E and I <laughs> We're sitting here talking about just our love for students. 
having the opportunity to engage and work with young students, students with young minds that are challenging us, but also, you know, challenging yourselves to grow and evolve however you can while you're here under our care for these four or five years. That's what does it for us. It keeps us young. It keeps us energized and excited about the next day. So being able to engage with students and see you all grow and develop is what helps me get through each day. Yeah, I mostly can just amen on what Dr. T said and also add that my ability to use my status and use my resources to direct them to outreach and engagement projects and to help uplift students and I would also add that I learn from my students, too. I learn so much from students. One of my people on my board is a former doctoral student of mine. Now she's a professor at Columbus College of Art and Design, but she's a big activist, big DEI person, and I learned so much from her. Environmental justice and eating right, because I was the first person to go run and get me a barbecue dinner with some ribs. <laughs> But I'm vegan now because of her, you know, and and learning about recycling and just all. I mean, I knew how to recycle, but just really learning that we as black people need to be really conscious about the environment. Stuff like that that she kind of is mentoring me on. So that's just one example of the many ways that students enrich my life. Well, I'll tell you. Man, I just, I love my constituents. I love my constituents down, man. We, I mean, we ride together and they can hear me coming. That's the most rewarding thing. The feeling of getting bills out of committees, which I have two coming up Tuesday and Wednesday. Check me out. Criminal justice bill, bill with regard to driving privileges and child support and so on and so on. But that's the good thing. And it makes you happy because you put those things on paper. But The most rewarding thing is when your constituent is, I don't know, maybe going through an eviction and they call you and it's like the last hour and you get stressful, right? Because you're like, why do you call me at the last hour? I mean, it would have been good to call me 12 hours ago, you know, but the most rewarding thing is when you can call an impact and you can call the CEO or you can call these different organizations and say, hey, I got a constituent with three kids and they're about to be out of their home in less than a week. I really need your help. What do they need to do so we can streamline that process? And when you're able to help in that way, there's nothing like it. Because at the end of the day, I was sharing with the podcast yesterday, what you have done on paper matters. The bills that you've been able to introduce and get passed into law, that matters. But what the reality is, is when you have, first of all, it's a good feeling. But when you have an opponent and they're running against you and they're saying all these things about you and you got all these constituents like, I don't care what you're talking about. My life got cut on because of her. You You know what I'm saying? It's the giving me something that I can feel is what they appreciate. And that's the bread and butter of my job. And that's the part I love. I love advocating for them. I love showing up in the rooms and I don't even have to say anything, just sit in the back and watch. And they just, we thank you for being here because there have been instances when nobody was there. And so me just being there, my very presence makes them feel like that they have a voice, not only in the state house, but in our community. 
And that's what I love. I love the bill thing. I mean, I'm going to tote my bills that we just got started in February and it's what, March 20th. I mean, I'm a bad sister, but being in the room and just talking to them and it's like family. That's what I love more than anything. I love how we're able to connect with people in the different areas that we're in. I think it is very touching to, like, be personable in that way. Well, I'm going to ask a very cliche question. I feel like it gets asked every other (laughs) podcast or conversation. What does self-care for you look like? Ooh-wee, self-care. I'm a very spiritual person. I have to be. So for me, self-care is I have to take the time to meditate. Because when I don't do that, I don't function well. I have to take the time to redirect my thoughts to my higher self, my higher power, and just chill. I had to learn how to chill. The world will go on without me. If I don't make the grant deadline, guess what? Another one is going to come up. God is going to make a way somehow. It never failed me yet. (laughs) Yeah, I had to learn that, though. You know, it's like I'm not getting any younger. And so I'm learning how to take better care of myself and understanding that I need to be passing the baton and making sure that people on my team have authority. I love to delegate what you want to do. How can I help you do this? Because I can't do it all. I need more people on my board. I need more people on committees. And I love mentoring people because we need that next generation. We need people who are in position to make it, as Ray Charles said, do what it do. (laughs) So I had to get comfortable with putting my phone on Do Not Disturb and being okay with that. And I also had to get comfortable with not responding to every email. I'm going to get to it. I have a response for you, okay? But if you don't get it right, (laughs) but if you don't get it five minutes after you send it to me, that's okay. So being comfortable with that. And then also making sure I find my time on the weekend or in the evenings when I get home from work to just be. I am completely fine with spending a Saturday on my couch Binge watching whatever I want to watch from BMF to Power to All American, whatever. Um, like, I am just fine. People, All American and All American Homecoming, both of them. Come on now. So, I had to get real comfortable with people asking me, Hey, what did you do this weekend? Nothing. And I was okay with doing nothing because that was my something, even though it was nothing. So, that's how I've gotten better. With my self care. <laughs> Man, that's, I mean, Dr. E and Dr. T, I mean, they hit the nail on the head. I got to say, my favorite thing, I don't know what it is. Y'all probably going to judge me. I watch Tubi. Have y'all ever been on that? Oh, no, my. she already know she already know i mean these movies are off the chain but i just be sitting there like well now why did you do that why would why you know but that is definitely my thing i will say i even prior to getting into this position so maybe a few months prior to because i was appointed back in 2021 so Typically, an appointment, you just apply an interview and they make a decision. Well, when I went through my process, 
I realized that in order to get the position, I was going to do a little bit more than that. Mm -hmm. And so I did all types of things outside of the box. And and this is all going to make sense. So I did community needs assessment. I mean, I just did all these crazy things, but obviously it worked against 11 people. But anyway, I did all this crazy stuff. And I mean, I was running after I got the appointment. I was still running and then had to run because right immediately after the appointment, I had to run to keep my seat. And so I just kept running. And that literally was breaking me down because what does it look like when you run out of gas? It looks like irritation. It looks like you don't want to be bothered. It looks like you have crying spells. It looks like you're just breaking down right and I realized I had never given myself a break and even when I thought I was like oh, okay I'm binge watching a episode on Tubi or something like that I was not giving myself grace because I was at this place where I felt like I had something to prove even after I had got the appointment it's like I gotta prove to her I gotta prove to him I gotta do this and it just my brain just would not stop and so I was literally breaking myself down and really up until recently maybe about two weeks ago I just could not stop crying. I'm like, yo, I mean, I know you were cancer. I know you are born in July, but like, yo, why do you keep crying? And the reality is I was tired. My body just was like, yo, you got to stop. And so now I'm really at a place where I'm going to rest. I love sleep, but I never really got to sleep as much as I wanted to. Now I'm like, I'm going to sleep. If you call, I will call you when I wake up. I am going to take time to spend time with my child. I'm realizing just to slow down and that you don't have to always be on response. The problem with me is I was trying to be different than what was. Mm -hmm. And I had to prove that you can lead like this. But the reality is, is I was leading like that and people didn't see it, but I was killing myself. And I'm just at a place where it's just like, you can slow down, slow down. You have nothing else to prove take care of you because the reality is if you don't take care of you you can't take your son and you can't take care of your district the way you know that they need to be taken care of and so I'm just at a place where it's just like I'm going to relax I'm going to lay on the couch the funny thing is is I used to love getting my nails and hair done at this point you guys probably can attest that don't feel like self-care no more because (laughs) it either hurts or it's too much or they're taking too long but I think my self-care is just resting mm-hmm. and and I've gotten into meditation. Let me quiet my mind because yeah. I'm an anxious person. So yeah. I've got to turn it down. And then I'm getting into this thing where I'm stretching because I'm finding all these tension in my bones, mm-hmm. my knees and all of that. Mm-hmm. And ironically, after I start stretching, I used to complain about my knee all the time. I'm like, oh, it don't hurt to get up, you know? <laughs> and so everybody's made a good point. And all the things that they've said, the doctors have said is things I do as well. And I think the saying, you got to pour into yourself the same way you pour into others applies. And I think self-care to most people is like, well, go do your nails, put on a face mask. I mean, I do the same thing. I chill, watch Tui, like the horrendous reality TV and like very, very, very interesting movies they have on there. Just taking time to kind of unplug. So, yeah. Can I jump back in for a moment too, Representative Humphreys? I was counting for a moment the number of times you said prove yourself. Oh, my God. Okay. And then I've been in a place before where I felt like I always had to prove myself as well, too. But getting to the place of being okay with who you are and what you get done and when you get it done will be just fine. Because they're going to always find something to critique about you, (laughs) me, her, everybody. And so it took a minute now. 
But I had to get to a place where I was okay with that because yeah. I'm going to do the best I can and yeah. I'm going to give you my best. But I got to be okay too. Yeah. I got to be okay. So quieting the outside noise yeah. and the naysayers, because they, they here, they yeah. always around, yeah. always around. And sometimes they us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It'd be my own. That's what I said. To learn. It'd be your own people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'd be your own people. So I just wanted to offer that. Yeah, no, to I, you and for you. I appreciate that, Dr. T, because I'm at that point where it's like I don't have anything else to prove. And I prove what I need to prove October 2021. So this whole thing that I'm just racking my brain on, it's like it's, it's not necessary. It's not necessary. So I'm definitely getting to that point. But that's what was driving me to tear myself into the ground was trying to prove. And I proved that six months in, you know, so. It's okay to rest. Yes, okay to rest. Well, to kind of tie off the whole conversation, I think I'm my last round of questions. So being that Dr. T and Dr. Elaine are both member faculty and part of Ohio State, so what is your favorite part about being here at OSU? Again, the students, (laughs) the students, and being able to use the resources of the university to do what my research tells me needs to be done. So having the opportunity to create something like the Hip Hop Literacies Conference, which is all about the younger generations and what they feel is important and their experiences. So that keeps me learning. I learn every time I teach my Hip Hop Literacies class, I'm learning from the students. I teach them how to think about the things that they're saying, like in terms of critical discourse. They're adding to critical discourse. And how do you analyze these things? And how do you put these things in a form where you're advocating for yourself and your community? And what changes do you need to make? What changes do you think can be made? People are always asking me about violence, the killing of black rappers. I'm like, our whole culture is violent. How is this affecting you? It's affecting all of us. But people want to territorialize it and say it's black men in hip hop or it's poor black people in the black community. No, America is violent. We're a part of America. And this is what it looks like in our communities, right? But anyway, those things like getting us to look at what is going on in our culture and what is our role in that. How can we help How can we help ourselves? How can we help save ourselves? And so I just like being a part of younger people's story. If anybody can say, I had this crazy professor, Dr. E. She told us about her life and her story, and it inspired me to get my master's or to get my Ph.D. or to become whatever they become. And I see people later on and they say, you, your class was the best class I had at when I was at OSU. That does something for me. And even outside of OSU, the work that I do in the community with young black girls and black women in general and gender expansive people of color, people always tell me I'm their auntie and how they learn from me. That's what I vibe on. That's what I it's worth more than all the aggravations that you go through sometimes (laughs) being in an institution and a bureaucracy, just working with the people. It's like you can't. That's priceless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
as I mentioned earlier to the students, being able to engage with the students. But I also have amazing colleagues and a team that I have a chance to work with each and every day. And so I enjoy serving at Ohio State University. This has been an amazing transition for me. As you all know, I've only been here two years. Um, but coming into this space and place and at this time was what I needed. And it has been amazing. I am grateful and thankful to have a very supportive and encouraging supervisor as well, too, and Dr. Melissa Shivers, which pushes me and challenges me to lead and grow as well. And in that way, I'm able to challenge my team for them to lead and grow too. And it's all about serving you all at the end of the day, making sure that students have the best experience that they can while they are here at The Ohio State University. And so that's what I love about this job, as well as looking out from the windows of the union and seeing the hustle and bustle across the oval of all the students. That gives me energy and excitement each day too. All right. Thank you, guys. I think my last question goes out to all of you. So what advice would you give a young black woman or girl who's listening right now and wants to be a politician or be in academia or DEI? I think the advice, first, I'm going to start off with saying, and then I'll go into the political point, but I'll start off with saying, don't be afraid to start over. And I think lots of times we get in these spaces where we really, really try, but we have these relapses. And that causes you not to want to get back up on the horse because you're like, well, I failed and I just don't feel like. No, do not beat yourself up. It is so important that you start over and you start over as many times it is that you need to. That's so necessary. I think I have like this ego thing where it's just like, well, you know what? Forget it. I don't care. I'm not. Do no, it is OK to move past that and start over. You can you can walk through it. You can try something different. You can try different approaches. But what I just would tell women is OK to start over and it's never too late. I tell people all the time took me seven years to get an associate's degree, even longer to get a bachelor's degree. Had my son, I got pregnant at 19, had him at 20. I mean, in tumultuous relationships. I know that what it feels like to go through things. And I know what it feels like to feel like you're behind the eight ball, but it is okay. God's time is the right time. And I felt like you know, as a young black woman, like, oh, my God, I seen social media will have you feeling like you just so late behind the ball. And I tell you, when I was appointed in October 2021, again, I felt like I was behind. But the reality is, is in Franklin County at that time, I was the youngest elected official in Franklin County. Why? Because I stayed consistent. And being consistent, that means sometimes you have to start over. And being consistent, sometimes that means it takes you a little bit more time than other people. And that's okay. And I just want to let people know that take as much time as you need to. You'll be right on time when it is your time. And the thing about politics, we talked about it before. I got here because I served. I was able to knock out 11 people with no appointment other than the fact that I served the Franklin County Democratic Party. But I was not pointed on saying, hey, you should be the replacement. No, my service to my community, my ability to market my ability, even through my services, what put me here. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to be a politician, if you got all cards stacked against you, if you come from Trevor Heights like I did down the street, you can do this, but you have to be consistent and you have to serve. 
that is going to be the thing that makes you stick out the most. I don't care how many books that person reads that you're up against. I don't care how many people's hands they shook that you're up against. If you can't prove the work that you've done, not what somebody else did for you, the work that you've done, you won't win in this race. So prepare yourself. Serve. Get with the right people. Make those connections. But that's really what it was for me, not being afraid to start over, being consistent and serving and marketing my ability to serve. That's how I got here. And that's the advice I would give to another young black woman. So the advice I would give would be to continue to work on yourself and find who you are and become and lead as your authentic self. And that will take you as far as you want to go. Also, never let anyone tell you what you can and cannot do. With drive and passion and heart and grit, you can get it done. It may take longer than expected, but you can get it done. So always believe in yourself, count on yourself, and live your true authentic life. I don't know that I could say anything more than what these two brilliant, beautiful black women have said. I'm going to just say, Ashe. I mean, <laughs> they said it all. Well, thank you. I think there's a couple quotes here that definitely will be seeing my journal tonight. I feel very inspired. I feel ready for the day. Thank you all. We appreciate you all taking the time to be here. We would like to extend our special thanks to Dr. Elaine Richardson, Dr. Tanisha Jenkins, and Representative Latina M. Humphrey for joining us today and imparting some valuable wisdom to our values. Thank you all for tuning in to Melanated Discussions. If you'd like to pitch questions, speakers, topics, or learn more about the Black Caucus, please visit our Instagram at OSU Black Caucus. That is at O-S-U-B-L-A-C-K-C-A-U-C-U-S at OSU Black Caucus. And finally, happy Women's History Month. Please take time to acknowledge and celebrate the phenomenal contributions that women have made to our society and recognize how far we still have to go in achieving full gender equity. To all the women out there listening, cheers to us. Today's episode was produced by Kendra Siedu and Shauna Burks, hosted by Chimu Tiso, audio engineered by Emmanuel Wilson. Our script writers are Sabri Abdullah, Daisy Asante, and Yandres Ferguson. And our senior advisor is Kyla Brathwaite. Thank you for listening to Melanated Discussions. Thank you.